Now it's time to take a little trip. We're gonna take you way back. I mean, way back. And the question is, can you do now what you thought you could do then? Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. And to my older listeners, including myself, can you do now what you thought you could do then? And don't answer out loud. Keep it to yourself. Young people, wipe that smile off your face because you better do now whatever you think you can do. Father time is unforgiving. But, and that is a big but, whatever you accomplish now or at an early age becomes even better when you get older. The lies grow and they grow and they grow. Seriously, did I tell you about the time I ran for 300 yards and a half and scored five touchdowns? Stick around. I might tell it. Now, make sure you're following the Chris Williams Podcast Hour on social media. On IG and Twitter, you can find the Chris Williams Podcast Hour at the Chris Will Pod. And on Facebook, the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Now, I'm not going to waste your time and talk you to death with an intro because this week's podcast is all about the saint. Some might even call him Sarge, but we all know him as a great dude. This week's podcast features the greatest math teacher slash wrestling coach slash motivator slash friend, Coach Greg Erbis. And by the way, did you know the opening song that I played, Bernadette by the Four Tops, is his favorite Motown song? You should learn it. Put something on TikTok. It might get you extra credit in math. Or even get you out of a sprint and practice. Huge disclaimer for the wrestlers. It might earn you extra mat time. Enough of me already. It is St. Irvis time. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. From the halls of Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and today I have one of the greatest high school wrestling coaches ever. While he is a great coach, many know him as one of the greatest people ever, a man dedicated to teaching and providing the foundation for young men to become positive contributors to society. Let me introduce to you my friend and today's guest, the coach of 24 state wrestling titles and four national titles at St. Edward High School, the 1998 National Wrestling Coach of the Year. Please welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, Coach Greg Urbis. Coach Urbis, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be with you. Uh, I I appreciate you coming. And, And Coach, before we begin, I, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on the podcast and 
Remember, the Chris Williams Podcast Hour is all about storytelling, so at any time you want to tell a story, feel free to interrupt me, okay? So thank you again for coming on and taking the time to chat. All right, let's start this way. So you often teach by telling compelling stories about people you met or experiences you had. So tell us about where you grew up and how it helped shape you. I grew up on the east side of Cleveland. I was born in 1951, grew up in the uh, uh, Slovenian Irish area of Cleveland on the east side, and went to St. Mary Collinwood Parish School. Uh, that's a Slovenian uh, uh, nationality parish. Uh, my grandparents came over from the old country around 1918, and uh, they set, uh, after they traveled around a little bit, they set up in Cleveland. And uh, uh, they, they got a store going, a grocery store going. My dad took it over after, uh, after he served. He went to Cathedral Latin himself, Old Cathedral Latin, uh, opposite Case Western Reserve University. And uh, then after high school, uh, the war broke out, and he went into... Uh, he went into the Marine Corps, but there's a little side story there. Uh, he wanted to be a flyboy, so he went in to naval aviation. Uh, he enlisted right after the war started. And uh, he was colorblind. And as you know, when you go past a, uh, wow. an airport, you see different colored lights on the airfield, on the, on the runways and that. Well, he couldn't see the colors, so how are you going to pass? Well, he paid somebody off, a Navy corpsman, to actually get the, like, the cheat sheets to find out uh, what numbers were in there because he's colorblind. He had a hard time seeing them. So he passes that and okay. goes to flight school. Yeah, he goes to flight school, and he cracked up two trainer planes. And, uh, you know, we're trying to win the war, and he's cracking up uh, United States uh, trainer planes. So they washed him out, and they said, you're going to become a sailor. And he says, uh, I'm not going to be a sailor. And he said, well, yeah, you're, you're not going to be a pilot. You cracked up two of our planes. We're trying to win the war. And uh, so he says, I want. He said, I, I don't want to be a sailor. I'll, I'll, I'll go in the Marines then. They said, what? You want to go in the Marines? Go ahead. They signed them right in, you know, uh, because Marine Corps is part of the Navy. They call it the, part of the Department of the Navy. And as Marines say, it's the men's department of the Department of the Navy. Anyway, he becomes a Marine and fights in World War II and comes back and marries his sweetheart. And um, they got married, uh, I think, 1946, 1947. I was born in 51. So I'm one of seven kids. I'm number two oh, wow. in, the, in, the, okay. in the family. And uh, so I went to St. Mary Collinwood and got out of there in eighth grade in 65. And then I went to St. Joe High School, which was tremendous back then. St. Joseph High School is run by the Marianist Brothers and Priests. It's the same ones that run the University of Dayton. And um, okay. uh, at that time, we had 2,000 boys at uh, St. Joe High School. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. It seemed like every class had 35 to 40 kids in there. That's what it seemed like. And uh, wow, so it cool. was a real privilege to go to uh, St. Joe's. And that's where uh, the Golick brothers, you know, from Mike and Mike in the morning, Mike Golick and yes. his brother Bobby went there to school. And Tom Shane, a lot of, a lot of great. They had about 20, 25, 27 guys that had uh, were in the NFL at one time or another from that school. Jeez, oh, man. So – once there was fantastic. It was Happy Days. It was just like the, the movie Happy Days, the, the series. Um, it, was, it was just a great, great time to be a high school student, 65 to 69. Um, we had a tremendous football coach, a bunch of great coaches, but the head coach was uh, Coach Bill Gutbrod, 
and uh, one of his top assistants was uh, Coach John Story. Coach Gutbrod mm-hmm. started the program in 1949. Coach Gutbrod went to Holy Name High School on the south side of Cleveland. The war started. He goes into the Army. He becomes a paratrooper, and he was um, uh, he fought side by side with um, uh, at um, the Battle of uh, the Bulge next to uh, Easy Company from the Band of Brothers uh, miniseries. He fought right yes. next to at, at the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, we didn't know that. You know, we know the coaches always call him the vet, the vet, the vet. Well, I didn't know that. He never said anything. And this man was a, was an awesome person, uh, rugged as all get out. Never one foul word ever came out of his mouth. Turns out, I found out about five years ago, he had a bronze star from World War II. That old bulge. And he had told John Story. John Story asked him, what was the worst day that you had in the Army? He said it was uh, Christmas Eve during the Battle of the Bulge, but I didn't think he'd live to be to uh, to the middle oh. of the next morning. So here he is. He gets out, then goes to Dayton, then graduates from Dayton, and he becomes the head coach in the first year of St. Joe High School back in 1949. And he was the head Amazing. coach there for 40 years. Well, the man was awesome. He had seven kids, wife. Um, he was daily communicant, went to Mass every morning before school at the chapel at St. Joe High School. What a fantastic example. He was he was unbelievable to us. I mean, it was like he walked on water. Um, he was stoic, he was tough, and he was a, set a tremendous example for us. So I thank uh, Coach Gutbrot for everything and Coach Story. Coach Story coached me in football offense line, and he also coached me in wrestling. I only wrestled about a year there. That's pretty terrible. Okay. After that, I graduated in 69. I went to Grove City College in western Pennsylvania, Division three school. I went there from 69 to 73, majored in math and uh, math education. Then I went into the Marine Corps from 73 to uh, 77. And then I got out of the Marines. I taught one year in Pittsburgh. And then I can't, I've been to St. Ed's ever since. I taught 77, 78 school years in Pittsburgh. And then... Uh, since 78, since August of 78, I've been in St. Ed's. Oh, wow. That is, that's amazing. So, all right. So now I understand how you are, how you ended up in the Marine Corps, basically. I guess because yeah, of the, my dad, your father. Yeah, my my yes. dad fought on Saipan, Tinian, and Roy Namor. He was with uh, the 4th and 5th Division of Marines. He was a machine gunner. And uh, those guys back then, they never talked about the war. They talked about the good times when they were on Liberty, horsing around or getting in fights and stuff like that, they laughed like that. But they would not talk about combat. That's that's the generation that, you know, when I grew up, it, it seemed like almost every guy down the street had been in the service, either Marines or Navy or Army or Coast Guard, whatever, you know, the Army Air Corps. My, we would walk down the street, my dad would say, that's Mr. So-and-so, he was in this outfit. That's Mr. So-and-so, he was in this outfit. It was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing times. That uh, is. So it was, you know, they call them the greatest generation. Well, <laughs> here's the ones that saved freedom throughout the world, those men and women. And um, they never bragged about it. They never bragged about it. And before my mom passed away in 88, she told me that uh, my dad used to have nightmares for about two years, two or three years. 
about combat. Uh, he never told oh, us. Wow. She never told us. She didn't tell us. I mean, I was born in 51. She didn't tell me till 1988 about that. So I was, wow. I was taken back, yeah, that uh, those men yeah. were truly the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I understand why they kept the secrets about it and why they wouldn't want to talk. Do you ever wish that you would have had the chance to sit down and, and just discuss some of it with them? Well, he told so many stories of the good times and the and the crazy things they did. I, I could tell a lot of those. I, I laughed like hell. Oh, some of the crazy <laughs> right. things they did on leave, you know, uh, it was tremendous. It was tremendous. But the men didn't talk about combat, and uh, they just did it, you know. They just did it. They didn't pat themselves on the back. They didn't do any slam dunking. They didn't, pop, they didn't punch their chest. Matter of fact, those guys came back. Got married, started families, raised their families, went to work and raised their families. And we had awesome baseball leagues back then. And all these veterans, they all volunteered to be either coaches or umpires. And uh, uh, it was right outside Euclid Beach Park. There was three fields going all the end of May, June, July, and August. Every night, six days a week, we had uh, baseball games. It was fantastic. And these are all these vets. Couple had a couple mm-hmm. pops after work before they came down. A <laughs> couple of beers, you know, you could smell it on them sometimes. So you didn't dare argue with any of them. Your dads would tell you, shut up. If he, if he misses a call, big deal, the guy's volunteering. It's funny. It was funny. And That's the kids good. all of, yeah, if the guy was calling the inside corner, I mean, way inside, he was calling a strike. Well, you just backed out of the way and you took your swings. And if he didn't, if he called, uh, if he didn't call the outside corner, you know, you adjusted. The kids spoke. Yeah, Mr. So-and-so, you know, he's not calling this. We adjusted as 12-year-olds. It was fun. Wow. That is nice. That is nice. Yeah, it's, it's different times. <laughs> different times. Different times. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's good. So, you, like you said, you finish in the Marine Corps. You teach a year in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was South so, Hill Catholic yeah. in uh, Dormont. Uh, it was a suburb, Dormont in uh, South Hills of Pittsburgh. It's now Seton LaSalle. They merged with a girl's school. It was an all-boys school run by the Christian brothers. Now it's merged. Okay. Uh, but I was only there a year. And then I came to Cleveland, and I wanted to teach in Cleveland. So Latin, Cathedral Latin had a math opening, and so did St. Ed's. And rival, we were huge rivals. Latin Ed's back then were humongous rivals. St. Ed's had about 1,550 boys, and St. Joe's at the time had 2,000 when I was in high school. And we were arch rivals, and never was St. Ignatius because they were in the West Senate. We never even played those guys. And um, Oh, wow. So I wasn't sure about St. Ed's. I was thinking Latin, Latin because of the merriness there, you know. And uh, so mm-hmm. I come and visit St. Ed's, and there's a buddy of mine I played high school football with. He was on the offense line. He was a guard. I was a center. And he was the head of the religion department, Mark Tishar. And he was here seven years or nine years. Uh, head of the religion department. He had played at St. Joe's and played at Hofstra University. And he told me, you got to come here, Greg. He's always, it's just like St. Joe's when we were at Joe's. So that's what happened. So I said yes, and I've been here. This is my 43rd year. Okay. All right. That's awesome. And I know St. Ed's is happy to have had you for all those years. So no, I'm happy let, let's talk here. about it. Good, good. And I know that, you know, I'm happy because, you were at St. Ed's, and I had the chance to meet you, and you've, you've been tremendous to me and my family. So I thank you, Coach. 
for everything you've ever done. But, uh, you know, you teach math, and you effortlessly teach math, (laughs) as well as you tell a story or do anything else. So when did you know that math was going to be your subject and when you were going to teach it? Well, we were taught by the Ursulines, uh, the nuns. So in eight years of grade school, I had nuns six out of eight years. And the nuns, they worked your butt off. And it was reading, writing, and arithmetic. And they could care less about art appreciation, music, phys ed. They didn't give a hoot about that stuff at all. They didn't care about geography. That stuff was all second. So it was English, and it was writing, and it was uh, arithmetic. And they drilled us and drilled us and drilled us. And um, most of us would turn out pretty darn good in math because of them. It was the flashcards and the repetition, repetition. They would skip other. They would skip things like uh, phys ed or, or uh, uh, music or art or, or like that if we didn't get the math or if we didn't get our English diagramming of sentences down. They'd skip that. They'd give us a double period of English or math. So most of us were pretty decent in math because the way they taught, they were tremendous. And so I knew in seventh grade that I wanted to be a teacher. It just, it just. It was oh, just wow. like that. And then, and then when I went to St. Joe's, I had tremendous math teachers there. Just unbelievable people, including Mr. Robertson, Mr. Obers, Mr. Masuga. I had, a, I had a crazy brother, Brother John Flynn, a Marianist brother that had come from Africa. He was on a seven- or nine-year mission in Africa. And this tough Irishman, um, I had him for honors geometry freshman year. And he came in. And uh, he jumped in our case day one. He said, you will have your homework done, blah, 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 blah. It will be neat. He's over. I just came back from Africa. They have nothing over there. All they had was a, a notebook and a pencil, and I was teaching them. He, he said I was teaching the uh, seniors their uh, college-level math, you know, AB calculus or BC calculus. He's over. You've got everything. You're spoiled. You will have your homework in. Oh, he was a rough, tough son of a gun. He was great. He actually picked a kid up, a basketball player that was sleeping in his math class, a junior, forward, I won't say his name, a junior who was a forward on the basketball team. And the kid was sleeping in class, and he picked up the the desk with the kid in there and threw it out in the hall. Word spread like wildfire. It was great. 2,000 kids knew quicker than you could text anything. Bam, we knew Brother John Flynn's nuts. He's absolutely nuts. Shut up. They had their doors open, and you wouldn't dare talk as you were passing his his room when he was teaching. This is 2,000 boys. It was great. It was awesome. So I was taught by guys like Dad, Mr. Masuga, Tim Robertson. He was a great guy, and he would teach uh, night school at John Carroll University. He would teach calculus there. He was a hell of a teacher. And a guy named Big O, we call him, Eugene Oberst. His dad was one of the seven mules for Notre Dame for the four horsemen. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, these guys were great. We loved them. Okay. Man, very strong background. All right, I'm going to jump off subject. So how do you – okay, so you you talked about, you know, growing up, what formed you, and, you know, the toughness basically is, is what, toughness and drilling. So how do you compare that today, and how do you make the changes to adapt to – you know, today's kids? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, they do have different circumstances that we had. 
I mean, they're walking around with $100 iPhones and stuff like that. My first car cost 75 bucks. I tell the kids that, and they're flipped <laughs> out by that. I said, your shoes cost more than my first car, my 56 Chevy. I had three-speed. I was a sophomore in high school. My dad said, uh, you want a car? I thought, he's nuts. He doesn't have many money. He's running a grocery store. We lived above the grocery store. There's 10 of us, seven kids, mom, dad, and my great aunt. Ten of us lived above our grocery store. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking he's busting my chops or something. He wasn't. 75 bucks is all the car cost. Had 86,000 miles on it. So anyway, we had a blast. Uh, going back off of that, at St. Joe's one time, there had, there had to be 30, 35 brothers and priests that were teaching there. And they had a big brother's house there. Well, they only had about four cars for all those men. And they would have to sign out for the cars. Well, my, uh, the priest there, Father Ken Summers, came up to me and said, Hey, Greg, I was a junior in high school. He says, Hey, all the cars are gone. i got to get somewhere. Can I have your car? This is in math class or English or history class, whatever I was in. So I said, sure, here's the, here's the keys, Father. I said, uh, do you know how to drive a clutch? He gave me a dirty look. Of course I know how to drive a <laughs> clutch. I said, all right, all right. I said, you do have to kick the front fender to open the door, though, because it gets stuck. And he just looked at me. And, but that was fun. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's uh, pretty cool. <laughs> uh, what question did you ask? Here I'm going off on a tangent. I forgot. That's all right. I was just asking – you know, how do you, from from how you were brought up, and how do you make the adjustment oh, with today's kids? Yeah. Yes. Well, these I tell the kids nowadays, this is, this is a shame. I tell the kids nowadays, as much garbage as they have compared to what we had, I think it's harder growing mm-hmm. up as a kid now than it was when we were kids. You know, I thought we had unbelievable stable families when, we, when I was a kid. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it's not the case not the case anymore and i think that's it really hurts society and families it's not easy on these kids and i tell them that. and then there's so many negative influences geez oh man all you got to do is uh put the cable tv on and every other station is garbage i mean it's absolutely garbage <laughs> could have 70 channels on there it's not there's times i just flick it off i said this is ridiculous it's all this garbage that they're watching and then if you listen to the rap stuff and all that other kind of crap that they play on the radio, holy criminy. Matter of fact, I yelled at a, the twins that play at Michigan State. I said, that's garbage. Come on in here. So I brought them in the office, and I played uh, a bunch of the Motown uh, guys, uh, the Temptations, Delphonics, uh, OJs. And I said, this is real music, you know. And they were laughing. They knew the songs. I said, how do you guys know this stuff? They said, our parents play it. They went, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, I was giving them the Motown sound. I said, now this is music. I said, why are these people so angry? You listen to this music, heavy metal. Tell them, you guys, why are they so mad about it? Jeez, oh, man, lighten up. I think you answered your own question a little earlier when you said all the difficult things these kids, they face, negative. You did, so that's, cool. that's That's a yep. big wraparound. Well, I asked uh, I asked the kids the other day. This is this is shocking. I asked the kids the other day, freshman football player. How many guys know kids their age that are doing drugs? It was seventy five, eighty five percent that raised their hand. These are ninth graders. Uh, well, what the hell is going on with our society? Yeah, Jeez, oh man, it's terrible. I mean, when I said when I grew up, it was happy days. We went to school, we went to work, we played ball. You know, we played in the summer, we played the, all of the, did something every season. 
geez, oh, man, we had a stable families. Holy criminy. Yeah, I feel bad for these kids. There's so many people yeah. telling them to do the wrong thing nowadays. It's unreal. When I was a kid, mm-hmm. there is tons of people telling you to do the right thing. You'd go down the street. If you were screwing around, neighbors would come out of their porch and jump in your case. They'd square you away in a heartbeat. We'll call your father up. Knock it off. Oh, we were we were watched all the time. It was pretty cool. I mean, then you're going, oh, my gosh. But, you know, they wanted a great neighborhood. They, and we, they're all, it was a working-class neighborhood, just regular Joes. But they all, they all had a standard, you know, to be, act like human beings, not act like jerks. So, I mean, I, no, nobody was perfect back then, but, geez, oh, man, at least we had people that cared about you, a lot of people that cared about you, a lot of people wanted you to do the right thing. So I thought it was much easier growing up in the 60s uh, than compared to nowadays. The negative, the okay. negative stuff that the kids are witnessing or hear about, it's bad. Gotcha. But we tell the kids, we jump in their case. We say, hey, you're responsible for your own actions, period. End of story. We don't want to hear about it. This is a land of opportunity. You can be as great as you want to be. You've got to bust your tail. No excuses. Just don't make any excuses. Just bust your tail. And they do. I mean, that's a, that, the kids are out there busting their tail playing ball. The kids are wrestling for Coach Heffernan right now. These kids, are they get after it. So I think with great leadership, you get great results, you know. The kids mm-hmm. are looking to be okay. led. And if we're not leading them, then the negative influences will lead them. So let's lead them in a positive direction. I want to backtrack just a little bit. So you come to St. Ed's. Uh, of course, you, you're there for a while, and Howard Ferguson is there. You And, you know, Unfortunately, he passes away, and eventually you end up with the challenging task of filling his his shoes, and he was a great guy. So what was it like when you were offered that position? Um, You know, it was a huge opportunity, but what was going through your mind when they presented that to you? Well, before that, so I was teaching. First of all, I was coaching football for Coach Flaherty. I was freshman coach. And then I was freshman wrestling coach. This is 1978, 79 season. So for 11 years, I coached freshman wrestling for Coach Ferguson, myself and Don Murphy, and he had other assistants with me. They actually knew what the heck they were doing. I did a lot of barking, and they did a lot of teaching. Uh, same with football. I mean, it was same thing. I could teach offensive line, but uh, they had other wonderful coaches teaching the other positions. So – it got crazy. In 89, I, I can remember the phone call to this day. It was October 6th of 89. It was a Sunday night. And Brother Dennis Bednarch calls me up and said, I got some bad news for you. I said, well, I'm thinking somebody got in trouble. He said, Howard Ferguson's dead. I said, what? And he, and he repeated it. I said, well, how do you know? How do you know? He says, well, I got a call. I said, from who? From who? I was kind of raising my voice. He says, well, I don't know. They just told me, and they hung up, and they moved I said, well, how do you know it's not a hoax? I was, I was raising my voice to Brother Dennis. And I said, well, where, where's he at? Where's he at? Where's the where, where They had to take him to the hospital. Where's he at? He didn't know. Oh, man, so I hung up. I'm going, I'm going, I can't believe this. So I called up three area. I'm thinking, where would he be? Where would he be? I called up Lakewood. I called up West Shore. I called up these different hospitals. And they're not allowed to tell you. I, ca- I called the emergency room. Do you have Howard Ferguson there as a patient? They're not allowed to tell you. 
And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was selling a home. He was selling a condominium in uh, uh, was it Independence? It was near Marymount Hospital. He had a, he he had a picnic for the people that lived there, and he was trying to sell those condos to them. And I remember, geez, that's Marymount, geez, that's Marymount Hospital right there, right there. So I called up the hospital, and I called up the emergency room, and I asked, uh, is it true, is he a patient there, is he a patient there? Well, we can't tell you that. And I said, well, is there anybody there from St. Ed's? And then they asked, and it was Mrs. Silvestro, Joe Silvestro's mom answered the phone, and she confirmed it, and I flipped. I couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. So he had a massive, either massive heart attack or aneurysm. I don't know to this day what it was. But mm-hmm. he passed away, bam, he was having a great time, great time, sat down, bingo. So anyway, preparations for his uh, funeral, you know, the funeral home and all that stuff. I think it was out at... Uh, it's out in Westlake. Uh, is it Corrigan's out there? Or my, one, of, one of the funeral homes out there. And uh, a couple of coaches take me aside while he is being viewed. What are we going to do? What are we going to What are you talking about? We're at a funeral home. Just passed away. What are we going to do? We got to. I'm like, what the heck? I said, we don't even have the mass. And they're talking. I'm going, oh, man. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. So we had a meeting like uh, two nights later at, at St. Ed's. It was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night. All the coaches got together. I had no clue what was going on. I think Mr. Murphy, Don Murphy, called the meeting. And they said, well, well it's going to start in a month. Training started in a month. We've got to have a head coach here. Now what are we going to do? So they're talking around, talking around, and then they came. Then about four of them says, we want Urbis to take it. I said, What? They said, we want Urbis to take I said, I wrestled a year and a quarter, and I stunk. I was terrible. They said, that's all right. You just handle the kids and the parents. We'll teach the kids how to wrestle. That was their <laughs> quote. I'm like, I don't want to do it. They said, Murphy and those guys said, basically, just be quiet. You're doing it, period. We'll do the coaching, and you just do all this paperwork and all this other stuff. And that was it. Honest to God, it was wild. I can't wow. tell you all the ones that were there that was telling me because I, I don't want this, the names out there. But it, got, you know, you. I'll, 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 I'll tell you who was there and who said it. <laughs> Holy crime. So I had tears in my eyes, and, and I went like this. I went like this. All you guys should be the head coach ahead of me. I said I was terrible, and blah, 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 blah. And they looked at me, and they said, we know. We know a lot more than you do. We'll teach the kids wrestling. You just do the paperwork. It was like that. In other words, save it. Just do it. Let's go. So they ran the show. I was the head coach, but they set up all the drills. They they ran the practices and this and that. And they were tremendous. And there's no ego there. And and our our goal was to try to try to keep it as normal as you could. You couldn't because who? And nobody replaces Howard Ferguson. He was so dynamic. Right. He made everybody mm-hmm. smile when he'd come in the room. His smile just lifted everybody's spirits up. He was amazing. And uh, so I didn't try and be a Howard Ferguson. I'm not a Howard Ferguson. So, but all the coaches just uh, you know, got all together and just worked hard together and tried to coach up the kids. So that's, that's what happened. Okay. Okay. So that first year, was there a lot of pressure? Did you feel a lot of pressure? Uh, the pressure put on myself, not from outsiders. I'm going, man, we can't let these kids down. We can't let the school down. We can't let the kids down. They, I constantly said that to me. What would Ferg do? What would Ferg do in this situation? What would he do now? What would he do? 
you know, uh, trying to think like that. What would he do? How would he handle this? And um, uh, that's that's how we did it. I mean, the the schedule was all made up, uh, and we just went to town from there. Okay, all right. And then, and you know, twenty nine years later, <laughs> twenty four yeah. state titles, four national titles. So, I got to ask you, Coach. Don't be modest, please. Don't. And I need you to step out of character just a little bit, and tell us how do you think you've done. It's not me. As a re- it's not even being humble or anything. I'll tell you the truth. The first two years that I was head coach, Dave Rowan, who wrestled with uh, three of uh, Ed's guys over at Edinburgh from Mike Deanna, had, was a two-time All-American. He had just joined our staff and was teaching math here. And so he ran the practices. I mean, the guy's a two-time All-American. He might know something about wrestling, you know. <laughs> and then he, he leaves to go to Madison. He's now head coach at Perry on the east side. Um, matter of okay. fact, he's got a kid that's at Stanford right now. That's how many years ago that was. Well, anyway, John Heffernan comes back. It's like the Lord blessed us. John Heffernan graduated in 84. He wrestled for uh, Dan Gable at Iowa. His brother was a four-time All-American, one-time national champ. Jimmy was a class of 82. So he, Jimmy, his brother, wrestled four years, five years for uh, 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 Dan Gable and was a national champ for him. And he's the head coach at Illinois right now. Well, John joined us in 92. So John graduated in 84, five years at uh, Iowa, two-time All-American. He's captain for Dan Gable his senior year. Then he wrestled in the Hawkeye Wrestling Club when he graduated. And then he was uh, a year at Miami, Ohio. He was assistant coach. Then he came back to Cleveland. And here it is. I'll push the paperwork. He know He's wrestled for Gable. Are you kidding me? I, I wouldn't second yeah. guess them on anything. Any, are you? They would have to be. You'd have to be pretty obnoxious or pretty stupid to do that. <laughs> he's he's outstanding, and he's been uh, basically running the show since uh, 1992, and he gets better every year. Every year, he learns more, adds to some things, takes away from other things. He's unbelievable. He's uh, the greatest. I think he's the top coach in the country. Wow. He, he, he's definitely, wow. to my, I cannot think of any high school coach that can touch him. He has these kids so primed by sectional district states, it's incredible, incredible. And uh, he is so wise. He, he, we're blessed to have him. We are very, 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 very lucky to have him. And he's, he's, um, he's a fireman, so he saves lives, you know. This guy's a hero. Mm-hmm. He saves lives, but he won't yeah. talk about it. He's very stoic, just like all the Heffernans. They do it, and they don't talk about it. And um, so he, he's, a, he's a hero for me. I'll tell you that. He's my hero. So he's, he's been the steady, the steady force since 92. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing the amount of guys that he's coached and, and put into uh, a college ranks. And, shoot, we had, a, we had an unbelievable strength, streak of guys that had at least, uh, for years, we had at least one Division One All-American in college. It was like 28 years, something like that. And, wow. Uh, and only four colleges could match that. John figured that out. It was, it was pretty amazing. There's a plaque outside. Uh, big charts are outside on uh, the guys that graduated from Eds that went on to become All-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it just keeps going. It keeps going. It's because, you know, He's the constant. I take care of the paperwork. You know, I do a lot of the paperwork type stuff. 
he takes care. Well, he, right, he's head coach, he takes care of everything, and I just I assist him as a freshman coach, freshman JV. But um, to see the guys that have wrestled for him and have wrestled at big time schools. Now we just have we got three kids on the team that have committed to uh, University of Pennsylvania. When they start college, they'll they will be the 28th, 29th, and 30th St. Ed's wrestler to have competed in the Ivy Leagues since I've been here. It's unbelievable. Wow, that is. So yeah, he emphasizes them be a good person. He emphasizes uh, you know to grow up to be a great dad, and that's what he emphasizes. He said this is important as wrestling to us, but it. It, it's not that it's not the biggest thing in the in the scheme of life. The scheme of life is to be a great man, and to be a, a great father, great husband, great father. He always gives him that. And I'm thinking of some words of wisdom from Ferguson. He he gave two phrases I loved, and it was, um, uh, "Use the sport, don't let the sport use you." In other words, let it open doors for you to college, and uh, and then the advice to all the coaches: never give up on a kid. Never give up on a kid. It's pretty wise because a kid could really, he can be, uh, you know, he's a kid. He's 14, 15, 16, and uh, that's not the rest of his life. And sometimes the kids go through some rough times and uh, on or off the mat, whatever, and uh, they can come out, you know, just like a diamond at the end of four years. And that was wise saying, never write off a kid. And we tell the kids, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know how good you're going to become. Just work hard. Work hard and do the right thing. Perfect advice. Perfect advice. So, all right. So, with all your success and the success you've been around, what do you think has been your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? I still haven't learned. Organization. This (laughs) office is terrible. You know, there there was this movie, Son of a Woman. Who was in that? Pacino? Yeah. Pacino. You remember remember what he says? Uh, he got ticked off at that prep school, and he, he banged his uh, walking stick and he yelled down, "I'll take a flamethrower to this place." Well, I had one of our one of my best friends was Mr. Agazino, who passed away, and he used to come in his office and shake his head. He said, "I'm going to take a flamethrower to this place." I laughed like hell. <laughs> it's uh, it's not it's not very nice. I have to close the door when people come around. It's pretty bad. But that, that's a huge, yeah. It's here somewhere. It's on my desk somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I just remember Coach McQuaid always asking you where something is, and you're like, I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a classic. So and, uh, that's a great segue to I know you as Coach Urbis, the football coach. So are there any differences between coaching young men in football versus wrestling? Yeah, I think it's, well, it's two totally different, uh, it's two totally different sports. You know, the ultimate team sport I regard, uh, football, the ultimate team sport, I think. It's incredible how you owe, you know, there's 11 guys on the field. You, you owe 10 other guys to give your best on every play because you can affect everything. It's it's such a great learning tool. If you want to take learning tools from the sport, learning uh, all the work ethic, the uh, j- just everything about the sport, if you can apply that to your life about doing what's right for your family, you know, and, and, and you're not the biggest deal 
there it's the whole family, the whole, you know, um, football. It's, it's so incredible. It's so incredible. And I, I, I would wish uh, that the highest levels of, of the sport use, use, the, use those gifts from the sport and use it in their lives. I mean, it can really change lives. It's 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 pretty awesome sport. So it's not just the, the running around smashing people, t- hitting, tackling, passing, throwing, catching, and that. It, it's all those life lessons that can be used from the sport, and that's what's important. Um, mm-hmm. That and then in in wrestling, it's it's individual. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You can't blame anybody. We didn't do blame a ref. I used to yell at the kids. We didn't do blame a ref. You're going to get a lawyer right now to have him reverse the call? I don't think so. You know, <laughs> so you put your foot on the line. You got to compete, and whatever happens, happens. And uh, Coach Heffernan's awesome with that with the kids. Uh, hey, if you get beat, if you go as hard as you can, get beat. Hey, things happen like that. But if you don't go hard, you have nobody to blame but yourself. If you don't go hard. And you happen to win because the kid hap- it was not quite as good as you. Shame on you. You're not you're not being true to the sport. There's great lessons in both. And uh, I just had one kid tell me he went to a workout on Sunday. A football player went to a wrestling workout on Sunday. He says, "Coach, I'm out of shape." I said, "It's two different shapes." I said, "Football's five second blast." I said, "Wrestling's a six minute go." You know, it's, it's totally different. I said, "Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." But the lessons learned in both, um, I just would like to, love to know the CEOs of this country. How many, how many have uh, played football? How many have wrestled? I bet you the vast majority have, have uh, participated in these sports. Mm-hmm. It's so yes. important. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we we talked the other night, and you said you said that if you know some people in society could actually you know, experience what it's like to be in a locker room that everybody would get along. So talk, you know, just yeah. talk about it. Talk about yeah. that. Yeah, you know, one of the big things to talk about is diversity, diversity. And uh, I told a guy over here that, I said, diversity? I said, go in the Marine Corps. You'll see some diversity there. Every race, creed, color, black, white, poor, brown, uh, yellow, it doesn't matter. And nobody cares. You're all marine green. You got to get the job done. Period. End of story. That's just the way it is. It's it's fantastic. You go in there. Some kids got long hair, shaggy hair, afros. This. Bam. First thing they do is shave your head. Now you all look the same. You all look the same. Now you got It's nothing but teamwork and go 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 go. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's it make you pucker up. I'll tell you that. Boot camp, that, that's no fun. I went to officer candidate school. They were jumping in our case. These all these Vietnam vets. But uh, it, these guys were heroes to me. We go through a wall for these guys. It's just like Coach Gutbrow. It's just like my father. These guys had been there, done that, and we listened with both ears, and everything they said, bam, we got done. And, and teamwork, 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 teamwork. And, and too bad about where you came from. Too bad about your circumstance. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be a team, period. End of story. It, it's great. It's fantastic. So that, and then the, on football field, nobody cares. You're going to get the job done, or aren't you? Wrestling, nobody cares. Could care less what race, creed, color you are. Nobody cares if you're rich or poor. Or, it doesn't matter. Put your foot on the line and compete. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Nice. 
Nice. That, that, that is a great lesson. That's an awesome lesson. So I know people always ask me, you know, you played a team sport. What did you get out of it? And it's like, oh, I can tell all these stories, and it's, it's like you really need to experience it. Yeah, you can't. You'll see. You'll you talk all day. You got to do it. Yes. <laughs> you know what I love? Huh? Getting off on a subject, then I'd love to talk to you about Coach McQuaid, Coach Flaherty, Coach O'Neill. Um, okay. But your viewer, your listeners got to hear this story. So you were coaching at Ed's, and I was a defensive line coach or whatever, and we had this guy named uh, Hodge. Uh, what was Hodge's first name? Alfonso uh, Hodge. Alfonso Hodge. And he was starting to get a little bit – I hope he's listening to this because I reminded him this at a Muni uh, banquet about a year or two ago. He's getting a little <laughs> bit too big for his britches as a senior. He's recruited this and that and all that stuff. He, he'd been recruited in Miami, Ohio, and he's cocky-locky and all that stuff. So he was playing uh, safety or, or – or, or, um, safety or – he wasn't a linebacker. I think he was a safety. And it was a day before the game, and guys had, just had, I think, helmets and shoulder pads on. And Coach Flaherty says, hey, Chris, run the ball. So you were running through the line, and all you had was your T-shirt, shorts on, and you came, and I standing right next to Hodge, and you come screaming through the line, and you were like a whisker away from him and made a cut. His eyeballs were as big as saucers, and I whispered to him. I said, you got to go inside and change your underwear. <laughs> Coach, I'm glad you were running at him because I know I was going to change my underwear. Holy crimey, you were a freight train, and this was a couple of years after you're done with MC State. You're coming through. And then I went like this after I said that smart remark to him, and then I said like this, that's a Division One football player. you got a way to go. I told him that. And he, he didn't oh, wow. say nothing. What could he say? He was, he was, he was scared. I was scared. I was next to him going, oh, my God, if he hits me, he'll knock me into tomorrow. Holy criminy. I'll never forget that. And you had this big grin on your face. Shoot, you look like Mike Singletary coming at us. Holy criminy. Oh, <laughs> to this I day, I don't forget that. And I tell that story. I told Hodge that at a banquet. He just laughed. I said, <laughs> I said, you, were, I said you were shook up, weren't you? And he just looked at me like, I know that you were. I know that you were shook up because I sure as hell was. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, that, those days were good. Those days were good. <laughs> All right. So, yes, you coached under Coach Flaherty, Coach Al O'Neill. Yeah. And, again, yeah. I was lucky to coach with you under Coach McQuaid. So can you yeah. share some stories about why each of them are special to you or, you know, just oh, yeah. memories. from Well, Coach Flaherty. So I, I get this phone call. So I, I came into Cleveland, accepted a job. Gary Hitzman interviewed me. He was head of the math department. And I said, yeah, I guess it's probably during Easter break or something like that. So I go back. I get a phone call from uh, Coach Ferguson. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing, Coach? Uh, hey, you want to co- – because I coached JV wrestling out there, South Hills Catholic. I didn't know a thing, but they, they needed a body, so they put me there. So he said, yeah. He said, do you want to coach uh, football? I said, sure. You know? He said, how about freshman football? I said, yeah. I played offensive line. I wasn't any good in college, but I'd, I'd love to coach. He said, okay. And then he says, what about wrestling? I said, I was terrible. 
He's over so as I. You will learn together, no problem. That's exactly what <laughs> Coach Coach Ferguson said. So okay, wow. then I get a phone call from Dan Flaherty. Would you like to call? Yeah, I sure as heck would. So so I come there and and one of the guys that I was coaching with is a fellow named. I said, well, who's the other coaches? And Dan Flaherty says, well, you're not going to know them. I said, well, well, who are they? This guy, this guy, this guy, Jimmy Lomas, and this guy, this guy. I said, I know. I said, Jim Lomas, I know him. How do you know him? Because he went to school with him in Latin. I said, I played ball with him in seventh grade. No way. I said, I'm telling you, the North, the Muni Football League in seventh and eighth grade, it was 17 years and younger and under 150 pounds. I don't know, it was the middleweight division. or So here I am, a yeah. big, fat kid, and I'm there with sophomores in, in high school. And so I was mm-hmm. pretty terrible. But Jimmy Lomas played there, and he was a fullback for the team. He had gone to school at Latin. Turns out the guy, he is one heck of a man. He's an unbelievable human being. He was great to me when he was a sophomore in high school, and I was a seventh or eighth grader. And I'll never forget that. So I coached with him. Turns out he was Dan Flaherty's best man. Mm-hmm. Turns out Jimmy Lomas, right after high school, went into the Army. It turns out he was a Silver Star winner in Vietnam. He wouldn't tell anybody wow. that. Dan told me yeah. that. Uh, humble as anything, he had six daughters, all blonde, and they all started like Amy, Annette, Angel, stuff like that. Pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And his wife just passed away uh, so my heart goes out to him and uh, his missus passed, and she, I'm sure she's right there in heaven watching down on the family. But So that was my first year at St. Ed's and, and coaching with him. And what, what I saw is just Coach Flaherty was so organized, he was unreal. He was organized as anything. Hours of work meant nothing to him. I mean, uh, in the summer, totally organized, doing this, this, and the other thing. He put out um, – a form. He put out a, a great big pamphlet that he sent out to over 100 colleges on all the seniors, the upcoming seniors for the year, height, weight, 40 time, bench press, what they played last year, did they start this and that, he had their picture on there. He sent that to over a college, 100 colleges back there in 1978. I still have a copy of wow. some of that stuff. So he wow. promoted the kids unbelievably. And um, and he worked the kids' tails off, and he had uh, Joe Rebar doing the offense, the run-and-shoot offense back then. Mm-hmm. So that was way ahead of time. And then we went to uh, Coach O'Neill and other stuff. But the biggest thing is Coach Flaherty coached every single kid, whether the kid was a, a, a Division One star, kid that was going to go to the big time in the Big Ten, or whether the kid had two left feet. It didn't matter. He coached them so hard, it was unreal. You coach the number one kid like you coach the last. You demand of them. He was, what a great example. What a great example he was. Tremendous dad, tremendous husband. And uh, I was privileged. I was with him quite a few years, 27 years. I was privileged to coach with him. I learned a ton from him. Uh, he gave his heart and soul to the program. And uh, I don't think a lot of people understand what he did. Um, the other thing is he would never, ever, ever duck a school. I think we were the only school up north that had the courage to go against the great Jerry Faust teams at Moeller High School. And uh, I think we missed the playoffs one time. I think we went 8-1 and one or 9-1. and one. And uh, we lost like 17-14 to Jerry Moeller's uh, Moeller team. 
when they had uh, Hiawatha and Dewan Francisco. Francisco. And Tony brothers, Hunter, I yes. think, was a split end. I think he ended up playing for the Bills, Notre Dame and the Bills. Those three guys went to Notre mm-hmm. Dame. But uh, great yes. games. But that kept us out of playoffs. Back then, I think they took one team from each region. So only four teams made the playoffs when they first started this thing back in uh, the, the mid-'70s. And, uh, but Dan had the courage. He played them. He played them in a heartbeat. And uh, we had a coach up a storm, and I don't, I don't think people understood just how great the, that Moeller team was and how great we were. And the number of guys that Coach Flaherty got into college, Division One, Two, II, or Three, he, he was always working for the kids, and I don't know if the kids knew it, I don't know if the parents knew it, but I knew it. I knew it. Mm-hmm. He was their biggest advocate. And the first thing he told me when he met me in person is, you're a teacher first, you're a coach second. Well, he taught five classes of history a day, plus had a proctor. Then he had to get the varsity team ready, you know. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> he didn't get much sleep for four or five months. He was just amazing. And we recruited on, on Saturdays, uh, on Saturday or well, Friday nights. If we played Saturday, we every Friday night all of us were scouting some high school game. Saturday we play, and then we would go watch CYO on Sundays. I mean, it was a seven-day thing from uh, from like the last week of August all the way through the season. It was just go, 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 go. And each team, it seemed like we tried to get it two or three games on cards and writing down every one of their plays and their numbers and getting background on them. And that was a huge Monday night uh, that we put together a scouting package for our kids. And uh, he did a heck of a job. It's, it's yes. fantastic. Um, back then, my first year, we had around 100 kids come out for freshman football, and we didn't make any cuts. Well, he'd ask me after a game, so how many kids did you get in there? I said, well, we got the first string in a couple of seconds. Well, you got to get them all in. I said, Coach, it's a short – It's the, the quarters are not as long as yours, and these are tight games. We're trying to win the game. He said, you got to get more kids in. I said, how are we going to do this? And he just snapped at me. He says, get two teams next year. I said, how are we going to do that? He said, just schedule like an A and B or a green and gold team. He said that 42 years ago. Wow. And for 42 years, wow. yeah, that was him. He said, get to, we want, he says, nobody cares about freshman ball anyway. I was pissed. <laughs> I cared about him. He's older. He saw the big picture. Get these kids game time. Practice them, coach them. We don't know how they're going to develop. The kids don't know. Only God knows how these kids are going to develop between ninth grade and 12th. And it's worked. For 42 years now, we've had two schedules. This year, because of COVID, it's not very good. We've got like uh, six and six. We've got about 12 games, about a 12-game schedule, or maybe it's a 14-game schedule. But we've actually had times when we've had three scrimmages and uh, eight games each or nine games each. It's unbelievable. Wow. We play on a Wednesday and a Thursday. So we practice together, and the first team had the first game, and the second and thirds had the second game. And they all and by senior year, there's a lot of starters. Right now, the same thing goes. There's a bunch of guys that are starting on the varsity this year that did not start freshman year. And we don't pretend to know. We, we don't pretend to see how, how much heart do you have, how much are you willing to pay the price in the offseason in the weight room. How much are you going to grow? We don't know. How much are you going to compete? How much are you going to learn your playbook? And every year this happens. It's pretty neat. Get the kids on the field. 
And if they don't play after freshman year, hey, they've got an experience. They've got an experience that they'll never, ever forget. And that's, that's, it's all because of Dan Flaherty. I think there's like only two other schools that I know that do that. And I think it's Moeller and Elder, or maybe Xavier, three. But they're down in Cincinnati. There, right. I do not right. know of any other team in Northeast Ohio that does that. Think about that. That is. That's, yep. that's amazing. Yeah. So Coach Flaherty is lit. The legend continues. Oh, he's amazing. He's an amazing man. Mm-hmm. So, so then you, that, you, uh, Coach O'Neill. Coach O'Neill. Grind it out. <laughs> yeah. Coach O'Neill coming in there with his uh, fancy shoes and uh, nice sweater and a cigarette in his hand. That Irish smile on his face and rugged as all get go. You know, he fought in Korea. He fought in Korea. Are you kidding me? Wow. Wow. So he brought in uh, that offense of his, block down, kick out, here we come, right off tackle to the right and to the left. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> it worked. It worked. It was hard nose. And you know that. How many, how many of those days? Would there be a practice on a Monday or a Tuesday? First thing, right after stretching, you'd go live 10 plays. It was like a war zone <laughs> right after stretch. Yes. Talking about if you had cowards in your head, you sure got them shook out real quick then. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think this guy is nuts. You know, not going into individual first, group, you know, a, a pass pro. Bam, you guys were thrown right in the fire oh. after about a 10-minute oh. warm-up. Let's go. Holy yes. criminy. And bodies flew. Oh, I think maybe he knew something. And uh, come game time, something tells me you guys are just licking your chops to go against somebody else. Let's go. Oh, it, was, it was a lot easier. It was a lot sure, easier. Sure, it had to be. Practice. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I remember that. Coach O'Neill, he would blow the whistle. He'd be like, 11 out of 11, let's go. And that was it. Let's go. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then... And then I think during specialties, I think he came in and had a cigarette and then came outside. I don't think he was in the special teams very much. Pass. pass the guy, the guy was, was great. It was seven on seven. He, would, he wouldn't even – he'd have nothing to do with it. He's just like, all no. right, I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back. <laughs> you know. And, and just that will and that fire, you know. Yes. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it against every other team, try and stop us, you know. Mm-hmm. It, the basics, right? It's fundamentals. Block and yes. tackle and carry the ball and throw the ball, catch the ball. I mean, just playing basics of football. Who's the mono on mono? Jeez, oh, man. Mm-hmm. And I think, I bet you the offensive linemen loved it. I bet they just ate it up. Blocking down, Dang here we come. Goes. Kicking yeah. out, here we yeah. go. Jeez. <laughs> Something beautiful there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then you, of course, oh, we go to Coach gave, Yeah, well, one more thing on Coach O'Neill. Did you know he gave sure. his uh, his kidney, yeah, to his sister, saved her life. No, I did not. What a, I did not. Yes, know he that. did. His sister had about I don't know three or four kids. Dan Flaherty would know, and uh, and uh, she was dying. Her kidneys were shutting down. Bam! He goes to uh, Ohio Med- uh, School of Medicine um, near Toledo. And uh, bam, they did the operation, took his kidney out, and gave it to her. He saved his sister's life. And wow. that that sounds just like Al O'Neill. What a guy! Mm-hmm. Yes. And then Coach McQuaid, 
geez, oh man, the, the, the epitome of integrity. What a guy. What a son of a coach. His dad was an awesome, awesome man. And Jim McQuaid's an awesome, awesome man. Integrity, integrity, integrity. Loyalty and integrity and doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Do your job. I'm sure he still yells that out right now. It still gets in my mind. <laughs> Do your job. Do your job. And uh, he had our teams totally prepared. I mean, there isn't anything that uh, that, uh, that 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 um, we did not uh, prepare for. He was outstanding. True. And yes, uh, I just love the he way he, he was so professional, so professional. And he cared about each and every kid, and he held them accountable. He held the coaches accountable. He helped the, held himself accountable. And the whole, you know, the whole team was accountable to the school. And uh, what an example. What a leader. Tremendous leader. I, I think many, many people, well, they weren't in the room with him. They weren't with him for 25, 30 hours a week, you know. No. They do not know what we know, what a great, great man he is. So yes. I was privileged to coach under those three men. All right. Uh, I know Coach Flaherty is probably listening, so can you remind him how important <laughs> scouting an opponent is before a game and, and share your gateway story? <laughs> Coach Flaherty, Coach Flaherty, if you're listening, uh, scouting's overrated. This is a terrible, <laughs> terrible story. So he sent myself and another coach to uh, Pittsburgh, to Gateway High School, because we had them next on the hit parade. We only had one film, and there was a terrible film on them. And we were going to go scout, and I said, that's eh, no big deal. I taught there nine months at South Hills Catholic. We'll find it. You know, we didn't have MapQuest or this or that, the other thing. Yeah, I just kind of winged it. Yeah, we'll find it, you know. So I'm going there, and um, we stopped at a gas station to get some gas, and we said, uh, uh, hey, uh, can you get us to Gateway? It's about 15 minutes before game time. Uh, Tell us how to get the gateway, sir. We've got to go scout. And the guy says, you can't get there from here. We said, what? You know, anybody who knows Pittsburgh knows it's got nothing but these mountains and huge hills. And you don't go up and down. You've got to go around. Everything's around. And uh, he said, there's no way you'll get there before the fourth quarter. We went, oh, gee. So we got a bucket of chicken and came home. So all the <laughs> way back, Mark Angelo and myself said, uh, Geez, what are we going to tell Coach Flaherty? What are we going to tell? You know, we went all this way. You know, drove uh, close to two hours to get to this game and never saw the game. So Sunday morning was the meeting, and uh, or Sunday afternoon, and uh, so I had this real intelligent idea of stopping at this this um, uh, store close to uh, the Cleveland Lakewood border, and it, and it, and it had all the papers from out of town. Uh, a newspaper, it was a newspaper stand. So I got the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and sure enough, there it is, Gateway High School. It's got the box score, what the score was after the first, second, third quarter, and the final score, who scored. Well, it doesn't have much more than that. It may have had uh, the who rushed and all that stuff. So come into the meeting, and he says, okay, give the report from Gateway. So I'm giving him this gibberish, and he's staring at me. And he says, what about the plays? I said, well, you know. He said, do you have any plays? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> All I had was the paper. He said, you never got there, did you? We said, <laughs> no. 
Oh, man, we got one garbage film. It was terrible. You know, it's 16 millimeter, and some high school kid probably took it. It was a terrible film. And they had a nasty, nasty uh, uh, middle linebacker, and I forgot who else was uh, crazy. They had two crazy kids. Maybe it was the tailback or fullback and the middle linebacker. I mean, they were absolutely sickos. And uh, so we had to prepare for them, and we played at Baldwin Wallace College that day, you know, at the end of the week. And it was cold as anything. I think Friday was a Friday night. It was cold. It was miserable. It was sleeting on that uh, that turf. And the turf was like carpet, real carpet, like slippery carpet. Yes. And uh, there maybe there was 100, two, no, I'm not exaggerating, maybe there was 500 people in the stands at the most, at the very, very most. Nobody came on that lousy weather. And we don't have squat on these people. And it was a hellacious ball game. It was fantastic. And Tim Beck's is, uh, Timmy Beck's played. It was puking on the side, then running back in and playing, puking some more, running back in, sick as a dog. He, uh, Tom Beck's is coaching. He's, he's coaching linebackers on the varsity back again this year. And um, so then uh, I don't know. I don't know how long it was. Maybe, I don't know if it was a week or two weeks or five weeks later. I said something to him. I said, oh, that scouting's overrated. And he gave me that look, that flirty look that could burn a hole for you. <laughs> Like, oops, sorry about that, coach. But, um, oh, we had some great ones. I mean, on a, on a, I think it was on a, we had a game maybe uh, Saturday afternoon. So we would scout Friday night, high school ball, get up early, have freshman practice, uh, play an afternoon game, varsity, and then uh, uh, go on a scouting. And I remember we from there we had to go out to uh, Erie Prep, out there and we came back in and then we did uh hurry up and had uh scouting cyo from noon to about five or six o'clock in the afternoon on sundays after mass and by monday we were dragging tail we were just playing out of it and uh this this goes on forever just like that and we worked hard we really worked hard uh, that's just what we did everybody did it and right uh, everybody loved it i mean we were tired as anything but we loved it so, gotcha. And then that continued with uh, Jim McQuaid. Yeah. So, yeah. And we do it now with Coach Lombardo and Coach Gibbons. And when he was here, we did it with him also. So, but now they trade films left and right. It's unreal. I mean, uh, there, there seems they'll trade you six films mid-season and right on huddle uh, on the huddle. Bam, bam. There it is. So, so until until hard. I was coaching, I didn't realize how hard it was to get another team's film. Or, you know, if you're playing somebody from out of town, you had to drive halfway, and oh, then you yeah, guys would yeah. exchange films. I was like, this is yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like when we played Steubenville, we'd meet in Youngstown. They'd come an hour north, and we'd go an hour east, meet at a gas station, exchange films, and go back. And then we'd come back right. with those 18 millimeters. Tim Highland would go nuts because these son of a gun, some of them would snip, would snip a, a, a pass play or a running play out that went for a touchdown. They would alter it. These people were amazing. Oh, there's some dirty dogs out there. I remember after our ball game, the guy that uh, took our films, took it right to Unger, it was in Parma, right to Unger Films, and they would develop them and, and give them back to us Sunday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, or we'd go there and pick up our films. And then we would commence watching film. Oh, boy. Breaking it down for the kids, you know. 
mm-hmm. breaking down the previous game, and then uh, after we traded films, breaking down their films, their, their game films. So, okay. One of the things about being tired watching that stuff, I was with Will Bowman. You remember Will? Yes. Will Will <laughs> Bowman and I, we were sitting here one Monday night breaking down film, and everybody else was gone. It was about nine o'clock at night. And it was bingo night, so I had a sa- Italian sausage sandwich and a cup of coffee, and he did too. And we're watching film, and I'm nodding off, nodding off, nodding off. Now it's around 11 o'clock at night. And we went, oh, my gosh, we're watching the wrong team. We were breaking down no. the wrong team. We can't tell Coach Flaherty. We can't tell Coach McQuaid. Uh, it was Coach McQuaid. We can't tell him. Oh, my gosh, we can't tell him. Uh, well, he eventually found out. Yeah, we screwed up. <laughs> Some things like that were wild. Jeez. We were that tired. Uh, I mean, we're nodding off. We were exhausted. You know, you teach five yeah. classes, and you have the proctor, and you go out there and coach, and then you're breaking down film. And then uh, it, it, it was like, uh, it was nuts. One of our coaches, I can't tell you who. I'll tell you off the air. He's breaking down a film with me one night. He said, come on, Irv, let's watch this film. We've got to break it down. He says, I've got to go in a little bit for this um, meeting, you know, this sales meeting. And it would be like 8 o'clock at night. So we keep watching. We keep watching. And he called his wife up and said, yeah, I, I got this meeting. I got a sales meeting tonight. We're meeting with a, a customer. So he hangs up the phone. We keep watching. So it's like 25 minutes later. I said, don't you have that meeting? He says, I got celluloid fever. I ain't going anywhere. Celluloid, the, the film. He, he called it Celluloid <laughs> Fever. And I went, oh, my God, if your wife finds out, she's going to kill you. Oh, it's funny. I had another mom, I had another coach's wife yeah, uh, kind of bark at me one time about all the time it takes to coach these kids, blah, 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 blah. And I said this to her. I said, uh, um, do you know where your husband is from three to six every day? She says, yes. I said, he's not in a bar. Yes. He's not chasing crazy women. Yes. I said, you know exactly where your man is three hours a day after school. She goes, you're right. <laughs> then it was okay. <laughs> that changed everything, oh. didn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I used to say to some coaches, the schools ought to, ought to hire nothing but coaches because there's no coach that's going to get sick during the season. You just don't do that. You, you don't, do if you're sick, sick too yeah. bad. You wait till after the season. You're not going to miss coaching a kid. You're not going to miss. If you're going to be sick, it'll be after the season. It's like an unwritten rule. I mean, no one ever says it, but I've said it to some. I've said it. Do you ever notice that nobody takes off here during the season? Nobody. It's pretty wild. I think it's a, a good that investment is. for the school. They get three extra hours of us teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's great. That's great. It's fun. All right, (laughs) Coach Irvis, it's an hour-long podcast. I can talk to you for two. I I know normally I'd tell a story, but you have done such a tremendous job. Um, I'll probably have to wrap it up there. But before we leave, do you have social media? Are you, are you on social media? No, I don't do that. So I, I have a hard enough time with this texting. With texting, <laughs> I got that, that cheap phone where 
you know, there's three things, A, B, C, so you got to hit it a certain number of times to get to C. you got to hit it three times to get to C. It takes me forever to text. I got emailed down pretty good. And I'm finally figuring out uh, uh, Word and uh, Excel. Meanwhile, this is embarrassing, but it's true. You should see these eighth graders. We're in uh, the lowest level of algebra here, Coach Lombardo and myself. These kids are whiz kids on a computer. They're zipping and zapping all over that computer. They're showing Coach Lombardo how to do some stuff on the, on the, the big whiteboard, which you can do and upload this and take pictures of your homework and send it in. It goes automatically in the power school. I'm going, holy crap, give me a piece of paper. I'll check it. But, but some of these guys, a lot of these kids, if you go seven times three, they, they may screw it up. You, if you go nine times uh, seven, you know, a lot of them aren't going to get 63. So they, they don't have their arithmetic facts down pat, but they live on a computer. These kids are whiz-bang, boom-bomb. It's funny. It's yeah. humbling. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> How much time we got? No time. Yeah, keep talking. You you got time. Okay, Go here. Let me tell you. Can I tell them about that uh, that one uh, boxer in the Marines? Yes, yes. I'll shorten it. I'll shorten it up for That's for okay. people who want to know why I love the Marines so much. First of all, my dad, and second of all, because the Marines are Marines. They're awesome. One hundred seventy thousand of them. Everyone knows when the Marine Corps birthday is. November 10th, 1775. 170,000 of them know it. I don't think the guys in the other services know when the birthday of their service was, but every single Marine uh, now in there or former Marines, every single one of them knows the birthday. They teach you the history. That's one of the biggest things in boot camp. They teach you the history of the Marine Corps, and that's why there's so much uh, uh, teamwork going on there. Uh, Gung-ho, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. I love it. Well, anyway... When I was in, I came back from Okinawa, and there was this uh, burly uh, first sergeant. And for those in the service, they know what I'm talking about. Those that weren't in the service, he had about 24 years in, 25 years in. And he was a Korean vet and a, and a Vietnam vet. And they were starting to get on his case a little bit because he was getting a little heavy around the middle. He probably was about 6'2", 245. And uh, so we went out to the gym and worked during lunch. Uh, I went in and lifted weights. Some of the guys are playing football. Marines are playing football. I mean uh, basketball. He's up in the upper tier of the the, the workout facility, the gym, and he gets up there and he's banging away at the big heavy bag. And I mean, it was like thud, thud, thud. And I'm going, man, alive! If those were my ribs, they'd all be broken. Jeez, oh man! So I'd come back to the office after everyone showered up. I said, first sergeant. He said, yeah, lieutenant. I said, uh, so um, did you box in the Marines? He says, would you like to see my scrapbook? So to make it way shorter than I told you the other night, Coach. So I see his scrapbook, and he won't say anything to me. I'm going through his scrapbook, and he's just smiling there. And I'm looking through it, looking through it, and I stop at this one picture. And I look up, and he's smiling. I'm looking down and up, up and down, up and down. I said, is that who I, I think it is? And this is 1976 when I was in Quantico, Virginia. He goes, uh, he won't say anything. I said, first sergeant, I know that's you. Is that the guy you're fighting? Is that who I think it is? He's just smiling. He won't tell me. And, when, and I'm drooling. I'm going, oh, my God, I'm getting goosebumps on my arms and back of my neck, uh, hair standing up. I said, is that Kenny Norton? 
He goes, yes. I went, oh, my gosh. I said, where was this fight? He said, a Fleet Marine Corps Championships aboard a ship. And I said, oh, my. So I'm losing it. I'm going, holy cow, holy cow. And then he goes, uh, then I go, how many times did you fight him first, Sergeant? He said, three times. I said, what was your rank? He said, he was a sergeant at the time. Kenny Norton was a corporal. So they were in like six and eight years. At that time, he was in 24 years, but when he fought him, he was only in about eight years. I said, how many times did you fight him? He said, three. I said, you ever win? He said, once. I went, oh, my gosh. Kenny Norton ends up being the heavyweight championship champion of the world. He's the one that broke Muhammad Ali's jaw. And um, for the younger people that have no clue about Kenny Norton, maybe they know Kenny Norton Jr., who played for the 49ers and for uh, the Dallas uh, Cowboys. He was a middle linebacker mm-hmm. for him, Kenny Norton Jr. I think he's still coaching in the NFL now, I'm pretty sure. Defensive um, defensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. For the Seahawks? Oh, my gosh. Yes. And uh, yes. When, he, when they would introduce him, I remember him coming. It would be on TV. He'd run to the goalpost, and he would box the goalpost. And that, was, that had to be an honor of his father, you know, mm-hmm. who has passed away now. So pretty neat story. There's some unbelievable people in the Marine Corps. I, I love every one of them. God bless the Marine Corps. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Thank you for your service. Oh, wait a minute. There's another story. So okay. fans, so fans of Chris Williams, he was losing tons of weight running the ball for Aloe Nail. <laughs> he carried the ball 25, 30 times a game because everything was off tackle. Tight end and tackle were blocking down. The fullback was kicking out the defensive end. Here comes Chris right through the six hole or seven hole to the right or to the left. And he was really physically beat up halfway through the season. His neck started getting real skinny because he was losing so much weight. I mean, he was hard-nosed as anything, but he was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, kind of like if, if you take a look at the World War II uh, pictures, the men there, there's no fat bodies out there. These guys were mean and mean and tough and tired, mm-hmm. and that reminded me of Chris. So I told, I called up Coach Williams, his mom, Mrs. Williams. She said, yes. I said, you got to feed him, because I, I had asked, and I said, you, I think you told me you had a granola bar. If they had granola bars back then, I don't know. <laughs> you had something that was nothing. I'm going, he's losing too much weight. He's carrying him all the time. you got to feed that guy. What do you mean, Coach? I said, you got to feed him oats like a horse. you got to feed him eggs, <clears throat> rye bread, toast. you got to give him orange juice. you got to feed him in the morning. you got to feed him. And she, all right, coach, she gives me one of those. She fired me up, and for years she fired me up about it. But uh, that's how hard Chris Williams worked. He was amazing. We love him. Thanks for, thanks for running the ball the way you did, and thanks for being a great leader, Chris Williams. I appreciate everything yeah. you've done for St. Ed's. Well, I appreciate you more, and I know more people appreciate you, Coach Urbis. So for all you've done for all the young men that have come through St. Ed's, and it's amazing how many people that you've had the opportunity to have an impact on their lives. And there's people that aren't even, you know, from St. Ed's, but they first at Coach Urbis. We hear these stories about Coach Urbis, and they're all true. So we thank you, and I want to thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I really don't care that we've gone over. It's my show, so it's okay. But thank you once again. <laughs> for coming on the Chris Williams podcast hour and we will definitely have you on another show. You know, as long as you're as long as you're willing to come, we'll have you.
All right, Coach. Thanks very much. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you.